I have been told that uh, I have eight points on that outline on the back of your bulletin, and this is my 20th message. Hmm. Must be one of the metric things. We are looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 18. I will bring to your attention again the reason that we moved in to this letter is because this letter is dealing with ministry. Okay? And if you are saved this day, okay, and I'm going to deal with that, but if you are saved this day, you are a minister of Jesus Christ. Period. We have a tendency to think that the guy in the pulpit or the suit or the elders or deacons or whatever, that they are the ministers. There's a mentality in the church today in the United States that I need to get as many people as I can in the chairs so I can hire more ministers. Okay, the more people that I get giving, the more ministers that I have. And I look at it completely different because the Bible says that if you're saved, then you are Christ's ministers. And that's what we're looking at. And what the Apostle Paul deals with here in chapter 3 is the contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Promise and the New Promise. And the glory in both, but the surpassing glory of the New Covenant. Okay? So we will pray, and then we will pick up reading in verse 6. Father, help us to have ears to hear, help us to have eyes to see. So, Father, may our hearts be overjoyed with the privilege of being servants of the Most High God. Our Father, being ministers of the New Covenant. Father, may we be overwhelmed with just that privilege. And, Father, may that be one of the focuses that continues to press us with every breath you grace us. Father, as we seek your kingdom, we seek your righteousness, we rejoice as you add all things unto us. Father, these are desperate times. And yet, Father, I look through history and they've always been desperate times. May our hearts be overwhelmed by the lost people that are in our lives. Father, may we be sensitive to those who believe they are saved and yet do not. May you, as Lord and Savior. Father, as we look at this text today, as I Try to gather the thoughts that you have graced me with in this. Father, if there's any that are here this day deceived, may today be the day that those chains are broken and the prisoners set free. In Christ's name, amen. We've been looking at this and we've been spending some time on it. And the reason that I wanted to is this is one of the most powerful passages that. Um, I have ever read or been exposed to. And it deals with the new covenant. We are in a day and an age where the covenant uh, really doesn't mean anything. When you think about it, uh, it used to be that when a man and a woman became husband and wife, they entered into a covenant marriage. Uh, and, and that has pretty much gone by the wayside. Um, it used to be when I signed a contract that made it, I promised on my contract I would do X, Y, and Z. Uh, that pretty much is gone by the wayside. Uh, and, you know, I had an uncle who used to raise horses, Palominos, and he did all of his work. And he was very well known on the East, on the East Coast. And um, he did all of his deals. And I'm talking horses that were $100,000, and he did it with a handshake. And it was... That was how it was done. That isn't happening today. Okay? And it doesn't happen in the church. And yet, when I look at the Old Covenant and I look at the New Covenant, then I look at God's promises before the cross. I look at God's promises after the cross. Okay? And uh, I would believe that God's promises is as good as a handshake. What do you think? Okay? And yet, when I look at the body of Christ today, she seems almost absolutely clueless about what this is. And I don't understand that. I, I really... I, I, it's, it's maddening to me. There, there's times that I just want to jump up and down and scream. And 
because I, I see the futility in the other options. Uh, I watch what the church classifies today as growth, and they will all look you straight in the eye and say it's got nothing to do with numbers, and yet everything that they do is based on numbers. Church growth is the privilege of investing your soul into another person's soul and making them walk as Christ walked. Okay? I have some text I want to look at today, but I have a question. I posed this last night I preached for Cornerstone. And uh, I, I had a question for them. I started the message off with a question. And, and I, I've been kind of doing this. I do this every once in a while. Sometimes it depresses me so bad I quit. But I'll stick her out there again. If someone were to ask you, why did Jesus save you? What would your answer be? I'm not expecting everybody. Okay? Because 11 out of 10 times, I get an answer that says, so I can go to heaven. Okay, now listen, that's true. That is absolutely true. That's kind of a cool idea if you think about it. I'm in heaven. I used to be really mad at Adam. Did anybody here used to be mad at Adam? If you hadn't eaten all that stupid fruit, do you know how much suffering I'd have saved me, buddy? <laughs> You know, it's like if, if he's in heaven and I see him, boom, one run around the beat just because. But then I thought about it. If he hadn't have done it, I would have. Okay. But I doubt, doubt if it had gotten to me. <laughs> so, but you know what I thought about it, though? I took my, my mindset and said, had Adam not fallen, we would all hung out in Eden. Now, don't get me wrong. Eden sounds like a cool place. But with the redemptive work of the new covenant fulfilling the old covenant, you and I now have the privilege of heaven. I kind of like that idea. I mean, I don't think the Garden of Eden would have been a bad place. Don't get me wrong. But do you realize that because of the, our fallenness, we now have access to heaven. But do you understand something? That is not why he saved you. If you never memorize a verse, if you never look at a verse, you never write a verse down, I want you to write this one down. Okay, because, um, well, I'll just read it to you and you'll see why. Comes out of a letter to the Romans. I call it the Gospel of Romans. And it is Romans 8, 29. He tells you why you were saved. Here's what it says. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. That's why you were saved. To be conformed into the image of of Jesus Christ. That's why when you go back through this list, on your outline there, you see that this new covenant gives life. This new covenant produces righteousness. This new covenant is permanent. This new covenant brings hope. This new covenant is clear. This new covenant is Christ-centered. And last week we started in that it is spirit-energized. Why? Because he saved you to be conformed into the image of his son. Look what verse 18 says. We, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, what? The glory of the Lord. When I look in a mirror, what am I seeing? Me being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That seems odd, doesn't it? Every time I look at him here, I always thought he was taller. Okay, I'm not sure he's got the blonde hair, blue eye thing going. But that's what you were saved for. And you know what? I, I shared this last week. 
the thing that I get into most trouble for, you know, and I have listened to people and have gone, gone around and around, well, what about predestination and election and sovereignty and spiritual gifts and church growth that and growth, you know what, <laughs> whatever. But the one that I get into most trouble that makes the people the maddest at me is when I say, you don't look saved. I remember a lady one time came to me. She wanted to join the church. And, and when someone wants membership in our church, they have to meet with the leadership. And one of the things that I want to know is, are you saved? See, I have different techniques for shepherding lost people and shepherding saved people. Okay? Uh, <laughs> there, there's two different things don't work there. All right? So... What I want people to do is, can you articulate to me the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's basically what I'm doing. I mean, it's, there's no secret to it. And this lady came in, and she, she had been involved in our church. She had been, you know, she was part of the prayer team. She had, she had all this, and she said, you know what? What you guys are doing here is just amazing. I like somebody who just brings forth the truth. I want the truth, and I want nothing. You know, I don't need all the foofy stuff. I don't need the, the, all the side charity things that you, everybody seems to think we need to do. He says, I believe that the church is a place for the edification of the saints for the work of ministry. And I'm sitting there going, wow, this is cool. I, I like this. And I said, well, tell me about when you came to salvation. She kind of lowered her head for a moment. She said, it was powerful. And I thought, well, yeah, I get saved. That's powerful. She says, I was sitting in my bedroom. And two shadows came into me. And one shadow took my hand and placed it in the hand of the other shadow. And I knew that that was God giving me to Jesus. <laughs> what? Have you not read a Shekinah? He's not a shadow. He's so glorious that man cannot look upon him. And I had to tell the lady that, you know what? I can't let you become a member of this church, but I will help you walk to direct you to what salvation is. As soon as I said that, she was mad. Well, how do you know I'm not saved? I've been here at the church. I've been involved in myself. Because Jesus don't do shadow things. Okay, and I haven't seen her since. Right? Is that harsh? I, what was harsh was the other elders were looking at me saying, well, you're the pastor. What are you going to say? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, great. Why did I get invited to this meeting? Okay, and I, and I, you know, whatever. When I look at this, I think about the Spirit energizing it. And what we're looking at is verse 17 and part of 18. 17 says, now the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. You just sang it. The dungeon doors were cast open and the chains are gone. Can it be? And I watch people in the name of Christ in so much bondage, I think you should go back to being lost. It's more fun. Or at least you think it is. How is it that the new covenant brings me freedom and liberty and I see so many in the church today who look like they're carrying the weight of the world? I don't understand that. And what we started looking at last week is four things that we miss about the person of the Holy Spirit. One, he was involved in creation. He is the one who was hovering over the globe when it was formless and void. And he shaped it into the creation that you and I see this day. It was the Spirit of God that entered into the dirt that was Adam. And it was the pneumos, the rachad in the Hebrew, that entered into it. It was the Spirit of God that brought life unto Adam. He was involved in creation. He measured the dust. Can you think about that? Busy. But he was also the one who empowered. You look at the spirit coming upon Samson. You look at the spirit coming upon Gideon. You look at the spirit that came upon David. You see him come upon men that have a special task that the Lord has offered and says, I need this done and I'm going to empower you to do it. Do you realize that what you do today is how it's done? 
I'm going to ask you a question. Do you believe you can run and not grow weary? I'm 50 some years old. Okay? I hate running. I'll take a whooping first. I just decided, you know what? Running will wear you out. And the benefit is, you're just going to be sore and short of breath. So go ahead, take the whooping. I can heal faster. Well, that doesn't sound... It is, trust me. But if you're going to walk with Christ, you had better be doing it in the Spirit of God. Because if not, I'll see it. So will other Christians. Those are the ones that I call cranky Christians. I'm serving the gospel. Is it working? <laughs> I hope whatever you got isn't contagious. Do you see what I mean? I've seen those people. You know what the ones that I'm talking about. You know, you see the people who are sitting there going saying, this is what the Bible says and I'm going to do it if it kills me. And I'm like, I hope it hurry up. Because you're killing me. I, I mean, those are people who come and say, well, how can you be a pastor and have a beard? God told me not to have sharp things around my neck. I've had people tell me that. How can the women in your church wear pants? You know, I remember going around with a guy, a guy was Dutch to reform. And he said that, you know, I was in your church and you had women who were wearing makeup. And I said, you know, some of them need it. <laughs> I think it's God's blessing. You know, thank you, Lord. I mean, everybody said, well, that's mean. You don't know me very well. You ought to see me on a good day. Okay. That's the kind of stuff that I sit and I listen to. All right? But these are the people who are doing it in their flesh. Bless their hearts, they're trying. But they haven't figured out what is the Holy Spirit does. He energizes this. It is the Holy Spirit that gave us the Word. It says every word of God is... Every word of Scripture is God-breathed. Okay, that word breathe is pneuma. Okay, in the Greek. And it is the word we get pneumatic from. And it's always transferred spirit. It is poof. So we have the Bible is God-breathed. The Spirit. Men led by the Spirit wrote down the words of God. So you see the Bible is God's. It's energized by the Holy Spirit through revelation. That's how, you know, in our Sunday school class today, I was taught use the illustration of Macbeth. Macbeth has just always drove me crazy. I had to write a paper on it, I think I was in junior in high school. It's the stupidest thing I ever read in my life. Okay, so all of my life is sort of like, here's this play that William Shakespeare wrote, and it just don't make no sense. Okay, I seen Clockwork Orange. That made more sense than Macbeth. If you haven't seen Clockwork Orange, don't worry about it. <laughs> okay? All right, but I thought if I could just sit down with old Bill Shakespeare and say, yo, dude, what was that? Okay, maybe you can explain this to me. I don't know what you were trying. I don't get it. You know, even Mel Gibson did the movie. And I thought, if Mel Gibson does the movie, I can truly understand it. I didn't get it. You know, I mean, he does Road Warrior. I understood that. All right? I, maybe it's just me. And everybody else, oh, I understand it. Yeah, sure you do. Okay? But when it comes to the Word of God, do you understand that I have the possession of the Holy Spirit that I can ask Him, what in the world is this? You ever thought about that? He's the author. He knows the mind of God and he put it down through men led by him and here we go. So he gives us revelation. Now then, that there is the introduction that I want to deal with and you had better not check out right now because there's something else that the Holy Spirit does. Okay? And it's probably the single most important thing. Okay. Theologian called the doctrine of regeneration. Regeneration. Baptists call it being born again. It's called the new birth. It's called to be renewed. 
In the Gospel of John, chapter 16, Jesus says, The Spirit will convict the world of sin. And I've listened to theologians, great men of God, debate this incessantly. And it is as if the Spirit will convict the world of sin is something new. This is after the cross. Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father and the Spirit is down here rocking our universe. And one of the things that he does is he convicts people of their sins. And I listen to people and they get very philosophical and boy, they get big words and all the rest of it. And there's times that I get a brain ache and, and trying to tune it out. And then I thought about it, and as I read it, and I think about the doctrine of regeneration, I think about Genesis 6, where God says, My spirit will not always strive with man. Okay? The spirit of God striving with sinful hearts. Okay? That was laid out, like I said, in Genesis chapter 6. And when I read it in Genesis chapter 6, it is very clear to me that there came a time when the Spirit of God wasn't there for the fuzzies anymore. He was there and he was ticked. He was not happy about what was going on. When I read this text in, in 2 Corinthians, I see the Lord is Spirit and the Spirit of the Lord there is liberty. So the Lord is spirit, and the spirit of the Lord would be the same thing. And I concluded in verse 18, just as from the Lord, the spirit. So you're not going to change it. So the spirit of God, the spirit of the Lord, has been convicting people of sin ever since sin entered the world. It convicted Adam and Eve of sin. Do you understand that? When they partook of the fruit, what did they think they could do? Hide from God? Really? Let's go hide. He won't find us. Really? There is a man that I admire tremendously, and the more I know about him, the more I read about him, the more I kind of stand in awe of him. He was truly an amazing gift to the body of Christ. Perhaps, perhaps, I'm the equal of the Apostle Paul. His name was John Calvin. A lot of people don't like John Calvin because they think John Calvin invented this doctrine of total depravity. And he came up with tulip. Uh, actually, John Calvin did not come up with tulip. He was a Bible commentator, theologian, and an expositor. Uh, he was an amazing man. I will tell you this, that John Calvin spent an exquisite volume defining total depravity. And if you're true to Scripture, even in a cursory manner, you will find that total depravity has been here since the little garden problem. Okay? It is not just something for the New Testament. A totally depraved person is not going to conclude or understand their own guilt. Do you understand that it is impossible? Okay. Now, I want you, depravity is, a, is one of my favorite Greek words <laughs> because, it, you know, I use it and people are oh, that sounds biblical. They don't understand what I just said to them. Um, depravity means found useless for its intended purpose. So when you speak of total depravity, you have to say useless for its intended purpose. If you go through the Romans 3 text, you'll see that God gives them over, and God gives them over, God gives them over, and then the last thing God gives them over to is a depraved mind. And that's actually, if you look at that, it's true, you're seeing God's judgment. When God gives a person over to a depraved mind, understand this, it is impossible to redeem them. Why? The mind is found useless 
for its intended purpose. And those that says, that's teenagers. <laughs> you don't believe in depravity, go look at teenagers. The work of the Spirit always has been to convict that total depravity that they are sinful. Now listen, you, you can see it today. You can see it on big scales or you can see it on small scales. Okay? You have two children. Alright? Little darlings. You know the little darlings? <laughs> Nobody's seen those, have they? <laughs> what little darling was that? <laughs> little darlings, you've got two kids and they go into a room together. Alright? And all of a sudden you hear this crashing sound. And something is broken. You walk into the room and you ask, what happened? And the response is always the same. He did it, she did it. Who did it? That one. That's total depravity. It's right there. Why? I'm not going to be the sinner here. It was her fault. It was his fault. We still do that today. And I'm an alcoholic. Why? Well, my great uncle was a moonshiner. Well, what did I think of that? It's easy to do. I am as depraved, and it's real easy. Adam did it. Now that we've got that out of the system, that's not hard. But, we, but if you li listen to what we do, listen to what we do. You know, I'm dealing with depression. But do you realize that you are going to be saved for eternity? I mean, I look around. Yeah, man, there's things that bum me out around here. I got up this morning seeing snow, and I thought, it's going to be 60. <laughs> I mean, you know, it kind of got on. You know, I looked at those pictures of what's going on in Japan, and you sit there and go, that's horrific. But you know what? There comes times when I get distressed about stuff. I back up and say, you know what? I'm a child of the Most High God who spoke existence into being. The span of His hand is creation. The waters fit in the hollow of His hand. And He loved me so much, He gave His Son for me. I'll get over it. Because if I look at me, I don't need no wisecracks about how depressing it is to look at me. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. If I think about the total depravity of man, can lost understand their own wickedness without divine intervention? Has anybody ever read their Bible and just got convicted by it? It just made you feel bad? And your first response is, I don't want to read this no more. Why? It still doesn't make it not true. I just don't want to expose myself to it. Why? I had a hard week. Remember when they first made me pastor of this church? I thought, well, you know, I get paid to what? Pray and study scripture. So if I'm going to take a day off, I'll make that Monday. And I won't pray or study scripture. I got to about 11 o'clock that first Monday and said, you know what? This isn't working. You need to pray and study scripture without ceasing. There is no day off. Why? It still convicts you. But it strengthens you through the convicting work of the Spirit of God. And that's how he talks to you. You know, people say, well, has God ever spoke to you? Every day. Every day he talks to me. And every once in a while, he yells at me. I know he probably doesn't yell at you, but there's times he yells at me. It is impossible for lost people to understand their wickedness. That is why they always are blaming someone else or something else. It's not my fault. Wrong place, wrong time. Wrong gene pool. Whatever. You know, if my boss didn't do this, or the economy hadn't done that, if the government didn't do this, or I didn't do that, or whatever, really? In the old covenant, before the cross, people were just as depraved as they are today. Did you know that? That's amazing. 
Someone said, quote, either side of the cross does not change the depravity of man, unquote. When Adam fell, the whole human race went with him, and it is that way today. You've heard this taught, we were created in the image of Christ. Actually, the text doesn't say that. It says that Adam was created in the image of Christ. I was created in the image of Adam. God didn't make me out of dirt. I know somebody said he looked like he crawled out from under a rock, but anyway. <laughs> but he's not trying to get at Why? Adam did it. He caused it. Okay, here we are. But you know what? Through one man, righteousness has come. The old covenant people have the same problem that you and I have, that they can't save yourself. And you can't save yourself because you are useless for your intended purpose. You were saved to what? Be conformed into the image of Christ. Try it. I got the book. I give you every instruction you ever need on what it means to look like Christ. Knock yourself out. A little tough, isn't it? A little tough. We are all sinful. Now, I will give you this. Some are not as sinful as others. Or they won't act on the sin as others. But all are sinful and all can do, cannot do anything about their sin. I'm going to show you how good it is. Go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Verse 10. No, wait. Yeah, that's right. Romans 3.10. Somebody stole my Romans. Three ten, as it is written. Okay, there are there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they keep deceiving, and poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is the depravity of man. Okay? That's just defined. Okay, now, here's the problem with this text. It's in Romans. That's New Covenant. Except for one small problem. He's quoting the book of Psalms and the book of Isaiah. That would be Old Covenant. You know what that means, right? If it's quoted in the New Testament and it's quoted in the Old Testament, it means it's an eternal truth. Tell me how any depraved person that bad off is going to come to God on their own. You ever thought about that? Well, I just need to share the gospel with... Wait a minute. Do you understand there are none righteous? Oh, in case you think you are, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. And I'm going to go hand them a track and they're going to get saved. Really? Really? One of the reasons that I see in the church today so few people coming to salvation, and I'm not talking about an external public declaration. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who come to face to face with their depravity and the holiness of God, and all of a sudden, they shudder. That's what I'm talking about. That's when people are saved. This thing that you see today, walking out, say a prayer, that's not biblical. 
Most of those people have got some problems in their lives and they think if they're going to go up and they get on their knees, then Jesus is going to give them health, wealth, and prosperity. That is not the gospel. The gospel says you are blind, naked, and depraved. None seek after me. None fear me. None are righteous. And none even understand. And how are you going to walk through that? Easy. Follow the Holy Spirit. He will convict Old Testament, New Testament of their sinful hearts. These people cannot come to God on their own. It's impossible. I, I, I really hope you grasp this. This is an impossible without the Spirit of God doing it. That's why we should be on our knees. We should have calluses on our knees praying for the lost. Because you ain't got a gimmick that's going to get that done. You ain't got a system. You ain't got a, I don't care how long you sing, come as you are. I don't care if you prime the pump. I'll have some people get up and walk forward. Have you ever done seen, been an evangelistic meeting? Okay, all of you have prayed that prayer, raise your hand. No, no, don't look around. Raise your hand. Don't keep your hand dead. Alright, now, all of you raise your hand, stand up, come on down here and make a fool of yourself. That's a gimmick. Listen, if I gotta trick you to come to salvation, you don't deserve his salvation. Don't worry. He'll get your attention. That is the work of regeneration, people. It is supernatural. It is divine energy. It is the same energy that took nothing in the void and formless and formed everything you see. It's that kind of power. And you're not manipulating that. Well, if I can just set the mood. Set the mood? I'm not proposing I want to get you out of your depravity. Well, that doesn't sound real encouraging. It can't happen without divine intervention. Tell me how a person, when the Holy Spirit invades, is going to suddenly be able to stand up and say, Oh, how I love your law. Holy Spirit isn't there, guess what? They're clueless. If salvation for the individual is nothing but an external, if it's nothing but declared, there is no regeneration. They can spout scripture. This lady that I interviewed for church membership, she could give you scripture. I've seen her. She was in Bible studies. She worked with VBS. I had another lady, and she always called herself a Titus woman. And I always, for a long time, I didn't know what that meant. A Titus woman. Hmm. Okay, and then she showed it to me. You know, I'm encouraging the other younger women to love their husbands, and and I'm wow, that's kind of cool. And this lady, I mean, she—if the doors of the church was open, she was there. She was there all the time. I never seen anything like it. And she had 24-hour prayer vigils. She'd sign me up. I always got one o'clock in the morning. What was up with that? Okay. But, I mean, this lady, she knew her Bible. She she could spout it. She spent days in and days out memorizing Scripture. And you just stood in awe of her. And when they were getting ready to make me pastor, she got mad. She didn't think I should be the pastor. I didn't either, but that's another story. And she says, "You need. we need to sit down and need to discuss this. Okay, I had watched this woman in the church for years. And she looked at me and she says, <clears throat> With your past, I just don't understand how you can be the pastor. I was like, well, I can give you a whole long list of things you don't even know about. She says, do you understand that by his stripes, I was healed, that he had to die for you? Really? That there was none righteous, no, not one. But if you watch this person involved in the church, knew the way around the Bible and all the rest of it, you st- 
And then to hear that come out, you just sit there and go, wait a minute. You're telling me he didn't need to die for your sin? We got a problem. We got a problem. How do I go to the place in my heart where the law of the Lord is my delight? How do you go to the place where the word of the Lord is sweeter than honey? How do you go to the place where it is finer than fine gold? If you are blind, naked, plagued, there's none righteous, not one, none understand, none seek after God, all have turned aside, there's none who does good, not even one, their throat is an open grave, they're deceiving, the poison of asses on their lips, they're full of cursing and bitterness, a swift to shed blood, destruction and misery is their path, path of peace they have not known, and they have no fear of God before their eyes. How do you get that person to say, as the deer pants me outside the brook, your law? refreshes me. How do you get to that place? And, and I get people, I had a guy ask me, come to this church and says, you know, your people bring your Bibles. How, how do you get your people to bring your Bibles? <laughs> they don't trust me, so they're making sure everything I say is in the Bible. It's, it's easy. And he said, no, how do, you, how do you do it? Can you come up and do that? I said, salvation makes them desire the Word. I don't make people read your Bible. You don't have to read it. I don't care. But you know what? If somebody sends me a love letter, I'm opening it. And I'm going to read it. And if we're kind of separated, I bet I read it more than once. What do you want to bet? And I got 66 love letters from my God to me, and I read it. And it means a lot to me. Because there's times that this place kind of frustrates me. Planet Earth. <laughs> this place. Everybody's like... <laughs> Well, your paycheck's going to be smaller this year. <laughs> but do you see what I mean? I want to know what he's saying. I want to know what he's thinking. I, I don't like knowing when he's mad at me, but he does seem to have pretty good at saying, I'm mad at you. Okay, I'm sorry. But right? If I have to make you read your Bible, can we take a step backwards? Perhaps we need to sit down like I did with the lady who had the two shadows in the room and ask you, when did you come to salvation and how do you know? I'm thinking that that salvation thing is something he hides. Without regeneration, the renewing, the reborn, how do you convict of sin? They always blame somebody else. Ask your kids. Somebody else did it. If you have depravity at the core of humanity without divine intervention, you can't get through it. It's impossible. You know, have you ever shared the gospel with somebody that you loved, you cared about, a neighbor or loved one, or, you know, a child or something like that, and you get that blank stare, and you think, well, that was a waste. Do you realize what you're fighting against? Complete lack of understanding. And you believe that, here, I'll just give you a cute little Roman's Road to Salvation or a track or something like that, you know. And all of a sudden, yeah. But I tell you what, if we can't pray for them, that the Holy Spirit crushes their spirit, crushes their pride, crushes their heart, and shows them their blackness, their wickedness, you ain't getting there. You ain't getting there. What? That don't sound like evangelism. Truth of the matter is, it is. It is. Man has no ability whatsoever to overcome his sin. Can't do it. It's impossible. Jeremiah says, The heart of man is sinful and deceitful, desperately wicked. Jeremiah says, Can a leopard change his spots? Can the Ethiopian change his colors? Jeremiah had to figure it out. He says, you know what? You're dealing with the depravity of man. You can't change that. You have no ability to change that. Listen, Noah, he was just a man. He preached for 140 years with this huge illustration behind him of this boat. God's going to judge it, and the only people getting on that boat are going to get saved. 
Now, was that because Noah was righteous or Noah was depraved? It's easy. That's an easy text to understand. When he got under dry land, what happened? Noah got hammered, running around naked. Of course, if I'd have been in a boat with all those people that long, I'd have probably done the same thing. <laughs> I mean, what else are you going to do? Job, most righteous man in the East. Was it on his own? Read chapter 38. The tornado comes up and says, Job. Abraham, mighty in the faith. On his own? In his own energy. David, David was a man after God's own heart, and he says, your law is my delight. Uriah would argue that. Moses said the reproach of Christ was more important than the treasure of Egypt. Did he do that on his own? If he did it on his own, then how does it get here? It says, there's none righteous, no, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. How do they do it? It's easy. You see it in Romans 4 and Galatians 3. Abraham was the model of our faith. And it was not a declared reality. It was a real reality. That's why when I challenge people on you don't look saved, I'm basing it, well, you don't know my heart. You're right, and I count that as a blessing. But I know your actions, and out of the heart is the words that come forth and the actions that come forth. Listen, Abraham was a changed man. Hebrews 11. Go through that Hebrews 11. Faith Hall of Fame. Go through all of that. How did it happen? I mean, Rahab the harlot? She hides two Jewish spies. And God spares her. What's she basing that on? I can tell you. Power of the Holy Spirit. They prove to us what a true life of faith is. I see people today who can quote their Bibles and cruise around in their Bibles and they know all their Bible things and I look at their lives and there's nothing different between them and lost people. I used to, years ago, before I got saved, before I even moved to Colorado, I was, uh, we'll call it in pharmaceuticals. Okay? And I used to run with a guy who was a, a hardcore practicing Catholic. Don't ask, I don't know how that all works. And he kept trying to get me to be a Catholic or something. And I finally looked at him one day and I said, listen, the only difference between you and me is you get up on Sunday morning. And I ain't doing it. Because Saturday nights tended to be bad. Or long, I should say. Okay? What's the difference? Well, I go in and ask for forgiveness. Well, I'm still going to get my wheelbarrow full and then I'll go ask one lump sum. Okay, that ain't right. That ain't right. All of those people in Hebrews 11, the world was not worthy of, and yet we have them as a model for us. If they hadn't been renewed by the Holy Spirit, those are all Old Testament saints, you know? They're as lost as Charles Manson, Adolf Hitler. There's no difference between them and the most depraved person you ever run into. Okay, now, under the Old Testament, I agree that the theology was not completely explained. I'll agree with that. But I want to take you to a text that you're all aware of, but I want to show it to you in light of something that you may not have thought of. It is John's Gospel, chapter 3. John's Gospel, chapter 3. This is where a man named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews... Okay, the word ruler there in the New American Standard is literally the teacher of the Jews, has definite article in it, so he was a hierarchy in the Pharisees. This was not, you know, a Pharisaical student. This was one of the guys who was setting the path. This man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. You don't want to do, the, do these signs. 
that you do unless God is with them. Jesus answered to him and said, Truly, truly, okay, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus already knows Nicodemus' heart. I know what you're asking. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? All right. Do you understand where Nicodemus is? This is Old Covenant. How do people get saved in the Old Covenant? Jesus hasn't been crucified. He hasn't been buried. He hasn't been raised from the dead. How do you get saved as a religious leader under the Old Covenant? This is not a biblically stupid man. How do you get saved? Jesus says you've got to be born again. must be transformed. You have to start over. There's got to be a change in you. See, the New Covenant truth and how in the Old Covenant is still the standard for the Jews. It still is. It is still what we do today. If someone comes to me today and says, how can I be saved? What am I going to tell them? You have to start over. Everything you've got your hope in, everything you've got all of your planning and strategies on, throw it out the window. Paul says, I count all things gained as rubbish for the knowledge of Christ. That is salvation. There must be, use the theological term, regeneration. There must be a change. There must be a transformation. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. If there isn't a change, guess what? You ain't going to see the kingdom. You're not going to heaven. Okay? All right, if you're not going to heaven, what's your alternatives? Okay, now, Nicodemus' response, everybody kind of says, well, Nicodemus being a smart aleck or what? No, Nicodemus is a smart man, very smart man. If you are the teacher of the Jews, absolutely. What he's asking is, I am so far down this path of religion, how in the world do I start all over again? I see people in the church like that right now. I can't start over again. How can I start over again? I have a lifetime of achieving righteousness. How do I start over again? What's easy? Water and spirit. Now, I have heard all kinds of teachings on what that means. Okay, where are we at chronologically between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? New Covenant hasn't come in force because there hasn't been a death. Without the shedding of blood, without the death, the covenant doesn't come in force. So it hasn't come. So if I want to know what that is, you get your little concordance, you can find water and spirit, and you'll find it. You'll find it in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36. 36, verses 25 and 26. Then I will sprinkle, this is God speaking of the new covenant to come. <clears throat> then I will sprinkle water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Okay? Regeneration is going to start. The first things you'll be seeing is a purification, a cleansing. I remember when I got saved. I was in construction. And I used all the normal adverbs and adjectives that construction workers use. Okay? All right? And, and um, when I got saved, if I used profanity after my salvation, it was like sticking my head in a barrel. It would echo, and you're like, <gasps> Okay? Now, I know that cussing is not going to send you to hell. I know that cussing is an act of the heart, and I was in that process of... Let's get changed. But all of a sudden, I look back on that, and I was sprinkled, I was cleansed, I was purified. And the things that used to didn't bother me, 
all of a sudden bothered me. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said this to you. You must be born again. You've got to start all over, bud. The Spirit convicts. The Spirit says, look, here's your sin. The Spirit produces faith, regenerates it, and that is where I become cleansed with water, and I am born again by the Spirit of the living God. My energy source now is the power of the living God. Why would we want to try to use anything else? Methods, systems, philosophies? When that happens, all of a sudden you become, it, it'll make you a lover of God. It'll make you a lover of truth. It'll make you a lover of his word. You will have an overwhelming desire to obey. You'll have an overwhelming desire to please your Lord. You have an overwhelming passion to serve your Lord. And you will do it in the spirit of him who spoke existence into being. So regeneration is the work of the energy of the Holy Spirit. Creation, empowerment, revelation, and regeneration. Or the rebirth. Now then, go back to your text. You understand why Paul says the glory of the new covenant is so much greater. Why? It is full-blown power of the Holy Spirit moving on the hearts of depraved man, opening their eyes to their wickedness, and then sealing them and cleansing them so that they are now clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we don't have to walk around like grumpy Christians. And I like that. Power of the Spirit to energize. We don't need anything else, brothers and sisters. We just flat out don't need anything else. When I look at that, it is no different than the creation model. God had a plan. Jesus fulfilled the plan, and the Holy Spirit energized it. Look, we have creation. We have solar systems and stars and space and time and matter and energy. It's amazing. And guess what? At Pentecost, God had a plan. Jesus fulfilled it, and the Holy Spirit energize it and create a new creation that is the bride of Christ, the church, and he gifts each one for the work of ministry so that I, my gift strengthens you, your gift strengthens me, and we run the race in the power of God to the glory of God, to the plan of God, and what are you going to add to that? I am nothing but a slave. I am a vessel. A clay pot Paul will tell you in chapter 4, with a precious treasure inside. And that's what we are in ministry. I know it doesn't look as pretty as guys who would like to write a book. But you know what? He already wrote one and it's a dandy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul. Lord, may we, who are called by your name, Get out of your way. Father, let us walk. And, and Father, if you want us to stand still and know you are Lord, let us stand still. But Father, let our hearts be overwhelmed with you, with your spirit, with your praises, with your power. Father, may our delight be your word. May our overwhelming passion be you. Father, we need to thank you now for this. The glory of Christ. Amen.